The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. My name is Kevin Cerulli and I am the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We begin tonight with the big story, which is the Senate is now taking up the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. And during an Oval Office press briefing on infrastructure today, President Biden took questions on the pandemic relief package that was passed by the House and is now in the Senate. Here's the sound on that from President Biden. We've met, have a number of meetings with Republicans on the coronavirus bill and uh, House, Senate, a combination of both. So we're keeping everybody informed. Back in the Senate, Senator Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, said that the clock is ticking on Congress to pass a new COVID relief bill before the extended federal unemployment benefits expire later this month. Here's what Senator Schumer had to say. No matter how long it takes, the Senate is going to stay in session to finish the bill this week. The American people deserve nothing less. The American people support the plan, including a clear majority of Democrats, independents, Republicans. It seems the only group that opposes the bill are Republicans here in Washington. I'm incredibly grateful to welcome our first guest to tonight's program. It's his first time appearing uh, on this uh, platform, and I hope it will not be the last. He is someone who has had a long career, uh, both in the private sector and private equity, and then uh, serving the country as the United States ambassador to Japan. And now he is a senator from Tennessee. His name is Bill Haggerty. Senator, thank you for joining us. You are a Republican from Tennessee. Uh, you're a member of the Banking Committee. Let's start with the stimulus. Is this an effective use of taxpayer dollars? Kevin, uh, it's great to be on with you today and great to be with your listeners. Um, if you just think about it, there's already been a $4 trillion bipartisan commitment of, of uh, funds for, the, uh, for, to, for stimulus and to combat the pandemic. A trillion of that's not even spent. That's how hard it is to spend this kind of money. Yet the Democrats want to come and load another $1.9 trillion onto the backs of, of, of our children and grandchildren here. Uh, this is going to increase debt per capita in America by, by a, a significant amount. It's already increased by $10,000 per person just in the past year. Uh, you know, we've got, again, a trillion dollars of unallocated funds that haven't been spent. We're talking about adding another $2 trillion to that. Uh, I think what will happen is the same thing that happened back in 2008, 2009, when the Obama stimulus, Obama stimulus program came into place. Uh, we had the most sluggish recovery that we've ever seen. This is this is going to dampen our ability to recover, broadly speaking. So I, I find this fascinating, Senator, when I talk uh, uh, or when I read the reports of how this is being framed. It, it's not that Republicans want to spend zero dollars here. What I hear based on my reporting is that people like yourselves would just like to see it more targeted. And so how much money do you think is actually uh, effective in in terms of what we need right now in terms of stimulus? Kevin, you're exactly right. It should be targeted and it should be temporary. Look, this pandemic was given to us courtesy of China. This isn't the fault of anybody that suffered from the disease or certainly any one of the businesses that had to be shut down. But some governors went far beyond what they needed to do in terms of the economic shutdown. 
this is meant to be a bridge for those businesses and for those employees. This isn't meant to be something that allows the Democrats to come in and put through all their pet projects. So what I would say we need to do is reprogram those dollars that haven't been spent yet, target them in, zero them in to, to follow the purpose of the bill, and that's to deal with the pandemic. We should be focused on getting shots in people's arms, getting our kids back to school, and getting our parents back to work. Anything beyond that uh, shouldn't be the subject of this bill and should be out of it. So one of the one of the main questions on people's minds, uh, especially this week, is just the divide that has been going on from the governors across this country, uh, whether it's down in Texas, Governor Abbott, uh, or in Florida, Governor DeSantis. Uh, give us the lay of the land in Tennessee, and when do you think uh, the country might be able to, to put this thing behind us. It was pretty striking to hear President Biden say that every adult American can get a vaccine, a shot in the arm by the end of May. Well, I, I, I love uh, President Biden's optimism in that regard. I want to so I. <laughs> I congratulate President Trump, though, and the administration that put Operation Warp Speed together so President Biden can make that, plan, that claim. Uh, it was a tremendous, uh, tremendous feat. I don't think it's been rivaled since the moonshot. So Operation Warp Speed has put us in a position today so that President Biden can make that sort of optimistic statement. That is terrific news to me. And again, I'm supportive of vaccines, of vaccine distribution, of testing, things that have to do, again, with putting the pandemic in our rearview mirror. That's the way we come out of this. And it certainly isn't through pet projects for Chuck Schumer and, and Nancy Pelosi in their districts. And it's not going to be through this massive expansion of federal funding that has very little to do with the pandemic. In you fact, know, one, of, one of the issues that we've talked about uh, over the past couple of weeks that we've been reporting on is, is this issue of the minimum wage, which obviously is not going to be included uh, this time around in the, in the stimulus. But it, it was interesting to me, Senator uh, Bill Haggerty, a Republican of Tennessee, uh, to report on Senator Cinema and Manchin, two centrist Democrats, who came out against the minimum wage and essentially said, look, while they are in favor of folks in cities where cost of living is, has skyrocketed, getting a, a, pay, a pay increase, in, in rural America and for small businesses on Main Street, that just might be unrealistic. I mean, where is the minimum wage debate issue in, in Tennessee? Well, Kevin, what this does is takes uh, high-cost jurisdictions in blue states and allows them to take away all of our competitive advantage in a state like Tennessee. Uh, our cost of living in rural Tennessee is far lower than it might be in New York or California. They're trying to, quote, level the playing field, and it's going to generate unemployment at a time when we have many small businesses. You think the local restaurants that are trying to get reopened again, they don't have the kind of margins to have a doubling or tripling of, of their uh, labor costs. There's, there's something called the tip credit uh, that, that needs to be accommodated. I think a number of folks in the service industries are worried that the, the, the actual total wages will go down if this uh, type of one-size-fits-all solution is imposed. So Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Cinema from Arizona, have similar concerns that I do in Tennessee about the negative impact that this would have on the economy. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office has projected that it would be a $1.4 million net loss of jobs I'm sorry, 1.4 million net loss of jobs, not dollars. These are human beings' jobs that will be lost as a result of this. You know, I'm going to rip up the script here to, to quote my uh, friend Tom Keene, my mentor here at Bloomberg, because i, I got to be candid. And this isn't a reporting question, but it's, it's – I'm going to say the, the question that I get most from my friends, which is where is the – from your perspective, Senator Bill Haggerty, where is the organization and the 
I guess, what is informing some of these elected officials' rulemaking process for what percentage of folks can go into a restaurant, whether or not a gym can go open, whether or not a, a school or a nursing home or, uh, in, in this case, a preschool, for example. I mean, what? because to the average person, it, it, it's a really hard to keep up with. It doesn't always make sense, and it, it is increasingly becoming more and more frustrating. Well, it, it certainly doesn't make sense to people of Tennessee, and I think that's felt uh, across the board. This has been very arbitrary. You think about it. You have governors making decisions to keep churches closed, yet liquor stores and abortion clinics can be open. This is not something that's appreciated at all in my home state. Uh, the amount of government overreach has been significant. And, you know, you've, you've got governors that are willing to inform and trust their population. That's a very different perspective from those governors that feel like they need to control the population. I want to talk. And, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was, I was saying I want to move to geopolitics. I mean, just as you're a member of the banking committee, that's a, a committee that obviously we, we cover very closely uh, here. And uh, I was struck by the other week President Biden issuing those executive orders uh, on supply chains and in particular about supply chains and U.S. reliance upon uh, global supply chains, and he's calling for a study. He's instructed members of Congress to come up with uh, uh, some some various nonpartisan proposals. The other senator of your state, uh, Senator Blackburn, and people like Senator Cotton, for example, have, have come out with various proposals that would uh, make the United States less reliant upon China and the supply chain. And, you know, you arguably would have one of the most uh, 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 pressing views of this matter, just given where you uh, served as the ambassador to Japan. What can you tell us about how dangerous it is for the United States to be overly reliant upon any country in our supply chains, in this case, China? Well, I, I think that you, uh, you recognize two leaders in the Senate that have been very good on this issue, and that's Senators Blackburn and Cotton. They get it. Uh, Senator Blackburn came over to join me in Japan uh, she understands very much the issues of supply chain and how much we worked to get more of uh, you know companies that are producing in a product in America to, to actually have their entire supply chain located in America. Tennessee has been very, very, very good about getting that done. The vulnerability, though, I think is something that's been recognized by U.S. companies more and more since President Trump took office. Look, he called out China for what they've been doing in terms of stealing intellectual property, unfairly blocking American companies from competing on Chinese soil, uh, and then heavily subsidizing their own industries to compete unfairly against us. When President Trump put the tariffs in place on China, I think that was an extreme wake-up call to corporate America. And when I served as U.S. ambassador to Japan, there were many companies that realized very quickly that they needed to end their reliance on China, and they were doing everything they could to come back to America. What's the formula for that, though? We've got to make America the most attractive place in the world to invest capital. President Trump started that process by going through a, a heavy deregulatory process, making it easier to do business. And then with the 2017 Act, Tax Act, he took America from having the highest corporate tax rate in the world at 35% and brought that tax rate down to something that was far more competitive at 21%. That began a process of America's economy taking off. We brought back 500,000 new manufacturing jobs during that period up till now. I'm, I'm worried it's going to go the But especially... But especially Senator Bill Haggerty, I mean, this is a week when Senator Elizabeth Warren was on this program and said that there needs to be a wealth tax. So, I mean, so, so how, do, how do you fight for 
that type of deregulatory policy when literally in the same week you've got Senator Warren proposing that uh, ultra millionaires should should be taxed more uh, on their income and 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 I guess I'm I'm trying to tie it to the geopolitical angle. Well, that that's my job here in the Senate to fight every day. So. Elizabeth Warren's programs do not become law. There are very few people like me who have a real business background, and my voice is going to be very important here to make certain that people understand that investment capital comes where the environment attracts it. And if Elizabeth Warren and others want to make America inhospitable to capital or the creation of wealth, that capital will move to other markets. That capital will go elsewhere. People vote with their feet, as do companies. So we have to stay focused on getting more capital investment here. That that will beget more jobs. That will beget more economic prosperity. That's the way you win is by growing, not by shrinking. Just a couple of more questions on this issue of, of, of Asia in particular and and the, the, the competitive uh, economic race with China uh, on the technology front. Because we've been also talking about this semiconductor shortage and the reliance upon China uh, and various companies in the Xinjiang province uh, for for various parts of these semiconductor chips. When you in your service as ambassador to Japan, uh, did did the United States what what did you glean in terms of the the economic relationships that the United States should have in Japan? Again, in order to make sure that that China isn't gaining uh, too much reliance, or that we're not gaining too much reliance on China in these supply chains. Uh, I think Japan is a critical partner to us. If you think about the size of the Japanese economy, after the United States and China, Japan is the third largest economy in the world. Uh, we have an extremely strong strategic alliance. You, you, may, you, you may know this. Many of your, your listeners may already know this. But we have more, U, more U.S. military stationed in Japan than any place else in the world. Why is that? Because Japan is located in a very tough region. You've got North Korea, Russia, and China right at your doorstep. And as a result, we have an extraordinarily strong strategic relationship with Japan that we need to make stronger. They are our strongest ally in the Asia-Pacific, if not in the world. So those are the countries that we need to have stronger, tighter, and closer economic bonds with. And we need to acknowledge the fact that countries like China don't play by the same set of rules. They have a very large market. I'm not advocating that we ignore their marketplace at all. But we need to use strength. We need to, to force them to compete on terms that are fair and reciprocal. Uh, and we need to stand tall when they don't. And in a, in a market like America is the most attractive market in the world. If they want to access our markets, they better start playing by our rules. Senator Bill Haggerty, also the transition director for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and he brought Major League Soccer to Nashville. What was that like? Did you get Keith Urban in the stands? Uh, you know, we, we, we only had one game before the pandemic hit us. Wow. And, um, you know, our, 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 you know, that process of bringing Major League Soccer to Nashville was so much fun. Yeah, Nashville, I'm a soccer and, fan. Yeah, great, great state, and, and, and Nashville is a great entertainment city. We already have an, an NFL team in the Titans. We have, you know, if you think about an unlikely success story, that's the NHL team, the Predators in Nashville. Mm. We support that team, you know, like crazy. Kids don't grow up playing hockey at every high school. <laughs> I can tell you that in the South. But Nashville is a great entertainment town. I could see a void in terms of having something that the millennial population would really be attracted to. And, and you know, soccer fits that. My kids grew up playing soccer. They still do. They love it. And you, you look around the, 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 the state, you look around the nation, soccer's growing. 
Yeah. And so that was an opportunity for us to really make. And something they're fun games. I was they I became fun. a DC United uh, uh, fan because, and I, I'm a massive Philadelphia sports fan. But I will say this: I became a DC United soccer fan because of the work that DC Score does in the greater DC region. They do a lot of philanthropy as well. Senator Bill Haggerty, I hope you'll come back on and talk to us. All right. Thank you very much. Great to be on with you, Kevin. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.